Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. That's at Audible.com. Today we have editor of the Washington Free Beacon, Matthew Continetti, who's also the author of a terrific cover story at this week's Weekly Standard, The Double Bind. Matthew, what is The Double Bind? Well, The Double Bind is... Uh another name for Catch-22 or Hobson's Choice. It's a, kind of a situation in which you're damned if you, if you do and you're damned if you don't. And this is a term that comes from feminism to describe how women can't succeed in the marketplace without giving up their femininity. And in the Republican context, it means that Republicans can't embrace all these new shiny ideas that uh, Republican and conservative uh, writers are encouraging them to do without uh, betraying or collapsing or setting against itself the uh, Republican coalition as, as it exists today. You described the, the three-pronged... I used to run Republican campaigns back in the day, and I've heard this so many different ways, the three different legs of the stool, the three different you know prongs of the Republican fork, whatever. There's always the three, and the three seem to be pretty consistent. It's the uh, Wall Street Republicans, the Evangelical Republicans, and the, what, Libertarian, small government activist Republicans? Is that how you'd call them? Well, the way that I conceive it is there, there are people um, from the Wall Street and the business community and kind of the free enterprise or free market types. I kind of put them all in one bucket. Um, they're the free market conservatives. They're, their primary objective is to keep tax rates low, to keep right. regulation low. Uh, to let free enterprise uh, do, you know, work its magic. Mm -hmm. Then the second group uh, are the social conservatives. They're actually the largest group in terms of size, but these are uh, conservatives who uh, social issues such as abortion and other sexual matters are the most important to them. They're the reason they go out and vote. Uh, and then the third and smallest group are the uh, defense intellectuals, the defense hawks, mm -hmm. the so-called neoconservatives who are interested in uh, large Pentagon budgets, um, uh, American primacy is kind of the, the academic phrase sure. for kind of a overpowering military. So those are the three groups, mm -hmm. and um, it, that's the coalition as it's existed since Ronald Reagan was elected president. And your and piece uh, in the wall in the uh, Weekly Standard points out that as you try to answer the concerns of one group, you immediately start in alienating at least one, if not both, of the other groups. That's right. Or you, or you know, I mean, you can kind of satisfy them all. Uh, at once, which I think the Republican Party is pretty good at doing right now. The problem is that in terms of a national election, like a presidential election, or even a statewide election in a large state, mm -hmm. um, that's not enough to win. And so right now, a lot of conservative writers are suggesting ways that uh, the Republicans could appeal to new coalitions. But the problem is, is as soon as the Republicans try to do that, then they betray the old coalition. <laughs> and so they end up losing either their, their identity or more elections. Uh, give me an example of a strategy that's been proposed, that's been all the, all the buzz on Twitter, and you just look at it and go, sorry, guys, it, this puts you right in the double bind. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, right now the biggest one, I think, is the immigration. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as the election was over, a lot of Republican and conservative writers said, uh, well, this just shows the Republicans need to... Uh, get the Hispanic vote, and the way to do that is by a comprehensive immigration reform that includes some path to citizenship, or if not some path to citizenship immediately, 
some kind of uh, intermediate phase, which eventually maybe one day would result in citizenship. And uh, this, of course, has been tried before. Uh, Bush tried it in 2006. He tried again in 2007, and uh, he failed. And the, one of the reasons he failed is because it alienated a lot of um, different types of conservatives, uh, people who had become disaffected conservatives. It kind of set the coalition against itself, uh, that is, with the business community arguing for one thing and then kind of uh, just everyday Republican, so-called street corner conservatives, right. uh, angry about it. Um, a second issue I can mention is uh, education reform. Uh, people say, well, you know, uh, we need to go after education and um, we need to reform the Department of Education. And, uh, well, reform takes two ways. Either you have the traditional Republican response, which is to abolish the Department of Education, which has not really been a winner, uh, either substantively or politically. Or you go for, again, the Bush approach, which is, uh, well, let's have a uh, enlarged federal role in education. And immediately then you alienate the libertarians as well as the social conservatives who fear what might be taught in schools if uh, the liberals at the national level could get their hands on it. I want to go back because you and I have a fundamental disagreement on who the three coalitions are, three pieces of coalition, as, as demonstrated when I tried to list them and I left out your defense hawks because I don't. I think that since 1989, that group has been atrophying and going away. And I really think the third leg of the stool, and who knows, maybe it's now four legs and I'm just lousy at math, Matthew, is I used to, when I ran campaigns, I called them the old guard, the right guard, and the off guard. The country club, Wall Street money, the social conservatives, and then the whatever you want to call them, Tea Party activists slash libertarians slash, you know, uh, live in a bunker and buy gold or whatever you want. But the, and that's kind of my team, by the way, of the three. I'm in that third group. And uh, I, I don't know that there's that the, the, the defense wing represents what it did. And if it's true that they, the, uh, the three prongs exist, you know, as, as you describe them, you know, Reagan's comment was that brought what brought them all together were, were their enemies, like hating the Soviet Union, which was simultaneously a threat to America and atheistic and a threat to the economic way of life. Could it be that what we just need is the right enemy for the three teams to gang up on? <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know who that enemy would be. Uh, I, I think that there are still defense conservatives. Okay. I think they uh, had a pretty big role in the last decade of American history with the response to 9-11. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I think um, the Pentagon and military soldiers are still an important block. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think we do just have a, a okay. disagreement about what the Republican coalition is. But why not the right enemy? And why isn't President Obama the right enemy? Because he threatens all of these groups and all of their ideals, you know, both their immediate self-interest through taxes or a pushing a social agenda or through their ideological ish, interests, you know, he, he sure. And I think that's a great. I think that's a good point, Michael. And I think that's certainly the way that the Republican Party has functioned over the last four years, mm -hmm. and that is to block Obama and to stop him and um, and to try to you know address the, those uh, places where he is successful. And what I think um, November showed is that well, it can you can have some success doing that in Washington it's not necessarily going to win you the presidency. And there's just the fact that since the Cold War ended, the Republicans have lost the popular vote in five out of six right. presidential elections. Mm -hmm. And so right now what the internal debate is in the Republican Party is, well, how do we get back 
presidential status, presidential, become the presidential party again. And I just think a lot of the ideas that are being bandied about to do, to do that won't work because of this double bind that I described. So what will work, Matthew Cottenetti? I have to say, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> My, uh, and we're done. Who, well, that was our... No, most okay. people, yeah, most people who have read the piece uh, come away but say, maybe they'll talk to me halfway through or something. They'll say, oh, this is so depressing. Does it get better? And I tell them, I'm afraid it doesn't. Um, uh, the Republican Party is what, is it, what it is. And um, uh, I, I see a lot of parallels between the way it is now and the way it was um, before Reagan. Mm-hmm. And um, Irving Kristol, who I quote um, uh, prominently in the piece, talked about how the Republican Party in his day, when he was writing uh, at this point in the 1970s, uh, really won elections by default. Mm-hmm. And um, that was when the, when the public was really upset at something liberals had done. And I think that was certainly the case in 2010 with Obamacare. Right. Uh, but uh, what, uh, what the Republican Party couldn't do then in the 70s, and what I'm not sure it's really doing now, is kind of present an affirmative agenda. Actually, you know, voters want things. I know it's cynical to say that, but it is the truth. They want things, and and the Romney and Ryan, for all of their virtues, and they have many, I don't think really presented voters with something, and a positive offer, right. uh, on their behalf that they could see and feel. And um, now, Crystal described that situation in the 1970s, and eventually, you, a Republican did come along, Ronald Reagan, who offered the people something, and that was relief from. Uh, high tax rates that inflation was pushing them into. And uh, so eventually, um, and this of course meant that he would alienate a lot of the Republicans in the business community who believed that the priority was on balanced budgets. Reagan went with it anyway, alienated that part. They came to accept it because it meant that they would uh, win the presidency, and which they did. And um, so I think one could hope maybe uh, that we would have someone come along uh, with the right, uh, both the courage to challenge the, con- uh, the makeup of the coalition as it exists, and also the idea and an actual policy idea that would benefit Republican voters in a way that those Republican voters would have a reason to go out and vote for Republicans. Um, who that person is, I, I just don't know. And unfortunately, we have to leave it right there. Hardly the most uh, inspiring, but, you know, hey, the truth is the truth. And it's, you've given us a ton to think about. Matthew Cotinetti, thanks so much for joining us on this Weekly Standard podcast. Remember, check out the great offer available to you from audible.com. Check back with weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.